this morning, and then we'll look at uh, the story again. Lord, thank you that we can be here today uh, to worship you, to celebrate uh, the good news that brings great joy to all people that a Savior has been born. Thank you for the hope that that gives us today. Lord, I ask that as we look into your word, that you will encourage our hearts, help us to spread the good news that Jesus has come, our sins can be forgiven, and our eternal destiny can be assured. Bless us now as we look into your word. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been looking at the characters of of the Bible story, the Christmas story, and actually looking at some of the maybe minor characters not necessarily Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but we start out by looking at uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth and uh, how God intervened in Luke chapter 1, this older couple that had been praying for a child for many, many years. They were advanced in years. And while Zachariah was in the temple, the angel showed up and said, you're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. And uh, John is born, and that was John the Baptist. And after 400 silent years from the close of the Old Testament... To Luke chapter 1, God now begins to speak and begins to move in human history to bring us the Savior. And of course, John the Baptist became the, the forerunner who prepared the way for the Messiah. And then last week, we looked at the shepherds. That birth announcement of those shepherds who were out in the fields outside of Bethlehem in Jerusalem watching their sheep, those sheep that were probably destined for temple sacrifice, destined to be a part of the Jewish ritual sacrificial system. And it was to those lowly shepherds that an angel came and announced the Savior of the world's been born. And uh, he's going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's going to put an end to the Jewish sacrificial system because Jesus is that once and for all sacrifice. So this morning we're going to look now at Simeon. And Anna, two of the minor characters that uh, were in, are part of the Christmas story. So let's look at our outline, and then we'll spend about 10 minutes thinking about some application points. So uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we're at. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, beginning in verse 22, the place. So as we saw, this takes place in the temple that is in Jerusalem. And uh, what, are, what are Mary and Joseph and Jesus doing on uh, making their way to the temple in Jerusalem? They're following the Jewish civil law. And according to Leviticus chapter 12, the the ceremonial law, not the civil law, the ceremonial law, that here's what Leviticus says. After the birth of a son, a woman is unclean for 40 days. So she has to wait 40 days, and when 40 days are over, the law required you bring either a lamb Or you bring two birds to the temple. You bring it to the priest, and the priest offers those as a sacrifice. And then he declares the woman ceremonially clean. And now she can enter back into the temple life and worship. Now what's interesting in that passage in Luke chapter or Leviticus chapter 12 is that if you give birth to a daughter, you have to wait 80 days before you come and bring the sacrifice. And you might be wondering, why is that? I'm going to tell you the answer this morning is, I don't know. (laughs) But that's what the law said. So what are Mary and Joseph doing? They're fulfilling the law. And so they're making their way into the temple. And it's interesting that it says that they brought two birds. It says, 
uh, they offered a sacrifice in keeping with what the law of the Lord said, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. So they could have offered a lamb, but they also had the option of two birds, and the birds would have been a lot cheaper. Now, some commentators say this shows that Mary and Joseph probably were maybe on a lower economic scale, and they were very, very poor, and uh, I'm not sure we can infer that from that. Uh, Let me share with you what one commentator, William Hendrickson, writes about this. He writes, from this it would be wrong to draw the conclusion that Mary and Joseph were poor. After all, Joseph was a carpenter. On the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Joseph had had to pay for lodging, food, and various other expenses. For 40 days, we assume Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus had been living in or near Bethlehem. Whether Joseph picked up a side job, we don't know, but one fact is clear. This means at his disposal, the funds at his disposal were insufficient to buy a lamb. So the birds would have been about one-tenth of the cost of a lamb, and the law provided for that. And so that's what they brought to sacrifice, probably because Joseph's checkbook was feeling depleted, just like yours is right now, right? And mine. And so they, they, they bring the, they, they make their way into the temple. And, um, now we're introduced to this man by the name of Simeon, verse 25, as we saw in the story. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Uh, three things about Simeon. The scriptures say he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. Most of the Jews were looking for a political deliverer. They were under the iron hand of Roman rule. And to them, the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Roman oppression. And yet we discover that uh, Jesus' purpose was to come and be the Savior of the world. And so he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. And then it says the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, before Acts chapter 2... The Holy Spirit would come on people and, and enable them for special tasks and sometimes leave. We know that from the story of Samson. Since Acts chapter 2 in the beginning of the church, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit actually indwells within you and he will be with you forever. He's not leaving. And so if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is, is part of you. He, he dwells within within you. And so the place is the temple. The person is Simeon. And now let's look at this fascinating promise in verse 26. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Isn't that fascinating? Somehow Simeon got this message from God himself. Simeon, you're not going to leave this world. You're not going to die until you personally see the Messiah with your own eyes. And so verse 27 says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, now we see Simeon's praise. What's Simeon do? He takes that baby up in his arms. I don't know if that made Mary a little nervous. Sometimes um, new mothers are very protective of 
of their newborn, and they don't really know Simeon. Uh, but he takes Jesus in his arms, and then he offers this, this praise that's found uh, beginning in verse 28 and 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So he's, he's holding the six-week-old Messiah, the baby Jesus, in his arms. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's basically saying, um, I can die now. <laughs> the last thing on my bucket list has, has uh, been, been checked off. I've seen the Messiah. I don't know if you have a bucket list or not in your life. I tell you what, when you get to, to my age, you begin to have a bucket list. <laughs> You begin to see that the years are short, and you begin to think, man, man, there's there's some things I'd like to see happen. There's some things I'd like to do. And for Simeon, it was seeing the Christ child, the Messiah. That was Simeon's praise. But notice Simeon's prophecy, because now he turns to Mary and Joseph, and he speaks some prophetic words to Jesus uh, and to Mary and to Joseph, verses... um, Let me pick it up in verse 33. Uh, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Remember, they're new parents. Remember, Mary's a teenager. She may be 15. She may be 16 years old. And so uh, here's Simeon. He's given this incredible uh, praise, and now he gives a prophecy. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What's he saying there? Jesus is going to be a dividing point in this world. You are either for Jesus and know who he is, or you're against Jesus. And your son's going to be that dividing point. There's no such thing as the in-between a Christian. Either have Christ in your life and you have the gift of eternal life, or you don't. And Simeon says he's going to be a dividing line in this world. But then he speaks some words directly to Mary. These last verse uh, words in verse 35. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. I wonder if Mary knew what he meant. What are you talking about, Simeon? A sword's going to pierce your soul, Mary. Did Mary know what he was referring to? Well, we don't know. If she knew the Old Testament scriptures, she might have had a hint because 700 years previous to this, the prophet Isaiah wrote Isaiah chapter 53 and said the Messiah is going to be the suffering servant. He's going to be despised. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Mary, this isn't going to be easy for you. We read in John chapter 19, some 33 years later, John's describing the scene at the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary. Mary, um, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. That's a lot of Marys. But what was it like for Jesus' mother? 
to stand at the foot of the cross and to watch her own son be crucified. Um, a sword's going to pierce your soul, Mary. And that's uh, that was Simeon's uh, prophecy. The text concludes with Anna the prophet. And we're briefly introduced to another uh, part of the Christmas story. Uh, Simeon, uh, who had this wonderful promise, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And now we read about Anna the prophet. There was also a prophet, verse 36, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So picture this woman. She's been a widow for 50, 60 years since her husband has passed. What's she doing? She's, she's in the temple. And it says that uh, she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She never left the temple. Now that's a little bit of hyperbole. I'm sure she went went home at night, but she spent a lot of time at the temple. I can relate to that growing up as a pastor's son in the 1960s. I felt like we lived at the church. <laughs> we were there, there all the time, and and uh, just spent a, a lot of a lot of time because uh, schedule was a little different back then. And we were there Sunday morning, we were there Sunday afternoon, we were there Sunday evening, we were there Wednesday night, we were there uh, Friday night uh, for all these programs and activities going on. But here's, here's Anna, the prophet. She's in the temple night and day, worshiping, fasting, and praying. And coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, how does she know that that was the Messiah? Uh, the text doesn't say, but maybe maybe she heard Simeon's uh, praise. And maybe that got her attention, like, this is the Messiah. And so she goes up and she uh, says words of, of praise. And then she tells everybody about, uh, about the Messiah who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And it says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So probably spent six weeks near Bethlehem, around Bethlehem. They fulfilled those requirements of making that sacrifice after six weeks. Now Mary is ceremonially clean, and now they go back home. And um, here's this summary verse, and other than the story that we saw portrayed about Jesus going to the temple and with his parents and being forgotten when he was 12... Here's the summary statement. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So there's the summary of Jesus in his growing up years. I had an interesting conversation with our one of our grandsons, Luke, this last week, and we were talking about Christmas and Jesus, and he said, Hey, Luke, do you think Jesus ever disobeyed his parents? And I thought about that for a moment. I was like, no. You're right. He, he never disobeyed his parents. But do you think Jesus ever, maybe as a young child, was was running and maybe fell down and skinned his knee and hurt his knee and was crying? And, and he thought about that for a moment. And I said, yeah, I think that happened. Because he was human, just like us, except he was without sin. And so uh, here's Jesus, and he grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and obviously God's grace was on him. 
Well, this morning we want to look at uh, just the next 10 minutes or so, uh, some life lessons that we can learn from uh, the story of Simeon and, and Anna. And we have four of them, so uh, let's look at the first one. Here's the first one. God often requires us to patiently wait for his plan and promises. That God often requires us to patiently wait for his plan and purposes in our life. So here was Simeon, and he was an old man, and I don't know when that promise was revealed to him. The Bible doesn't say, but obviously for some time he knew this promise that I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah And he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And then one day he's in the temple, led by the Holy Spirit. And apparently the Holy Spirit then, as he sees Mary and Joseph, and there there would have been many, many people, crowds of people there, but the Holy Spirit must have said, that's the one. That's the Messiah. And the promise came to fulfillment. But oftentimes we have to wait, and for most of us we're not very good at waiting. Think about Abraham and Sarah. They were promised the, the son that all the world would be blessed. And uh, they, they were elderly in years. And how long did they wait? I think they waited 25 years before um, Isaac was born, the promised son. Think about the nation of Israel, all these prophecies about the Messiah from Isaiah. They're waiting 700 years for the fulfillment of those promises. And so here's Simeon, and he's waiting for the hope, the consolation, the deliverance of Israel. Oftentimes in our lives, we find ourselves waiting. I don't know the name of the author, but there's a book called In God's Waiting Room. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Many people are waiting, waiting for some test results with some health issues waiting for God to open up a a job, employment. Maybe there's some that are waiting to have a child, waiting for a loved one to come to know Jesus, waiting for a wayward son or daughter to to come back to Christ. Uh, We often find ourselves in God's waiting room. Dr. Ryan Cook Professor at Moody Bible Institute writes about prayer and waiting. Let me just read a portion of this. Uh, he starts by quoting Psalm 5.3, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Dr. Cook writes, Waiting can be difficult and painful. This is especially true when we do not know how long we will wait for an answer to our prayers. In Psalm 5, David describes how he cried out to the Lord, laid his request before him, and then waited expectantly. David's particular problem was his enemies. It was a situation so difficult that it caused David to lament. Even so, David held on to hope. He knew God and trusted his character, that God would be the one to act in his defense. As Eugene Peterson reminds us, waiting in prayer is a disciplined Refusal to act before God acts. We have all experienced times when life feels desperate. In those times, we can do what David modeled in this psalm. We can be honest with God about our plight, and we can wait for God to act. Our hope is grounded in the character of God. 
There is no more sure foundation than that. Oftentimes, God requires us to wait. And I don't know about you, but I'm not good at waiting. And most of us in our American culture aren't good at waiting because we've been conditioned to get things now. Just just be in the uh, drive through line at uh, McDonald's or a fast food place and it's moving kind of slow. <laughs> get a little impatient. I've been waiting 10 minutes for my food. <laughs> God requires us to wait. And we, as we wait, we trust in him. Life lesson number two. Like Simeon, we need to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Did you notice in the, in the text here when it's talking about Simeon and describing Simeon, uh, it mentions the Holy Spirit three times. The Holy Spirit was on him, verse 25. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, why is he in the temple? Moved by the Holy Spirit, he's in the temple. And so what was Simeon? Simeon, he wasn't living a self-directed life. He was living what? A spirit-directed life. And the spirit is is prompting him and, and saying, you need to go to the temple. Good thing he was listening, right? Because if he hadn't shown up, he would have what? Missed Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and seen the Messiah. And so Simeon was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. And we're either living a self-directed life that says, I'm in charge, and here's my schedule, and I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, or we're sensitive to what God's directing us to do, and a sensitivity to those, those promptings in our life. It was the late uh, Paul Johnson, and Paul Johnson was a businessman in Detroit, very successful businessman, had the privilege of, of getting to know Paul quite well over the years. Paul gave millions and millions of dollars to God's kingdom. I was chairman of the board of Moody Bible Institute for a number of years, and uh, Paul used to say this, never resist a generous impulse. <laughs> and so if you've got this prompting in your heart like, to, to do something generous, so I was like, well, Satan, get behind me. No. <laughs> That's God. That's God's leading. That's God's prompting. And so we need to live what a spirit-directed life. And I'm so thankful, and this happens almost every, every Christmas as part of our church family, and it's all behind-the-scenes stuff. But I tell you, one of the things that I've had the privilege of doing multiple times this Christmas season is that someone associated with a church family comes up to me and says, hey, we've been blessed. Would you pass this on to somebody in need? And I've had the chance to do that over and over and over again because you were sensitive to the Spirit of God. So like Simeon, we need to be sensitive to the leading of God's Spirit. Number three. Number three, our greatest joys and sorrows are often associated with parenting. Did you hear me? And some of you could probably say amen to that. Isn't that true? It's true for Mary. I'm the mother of the Messiah. 
I get the privilege of being the mother of the Savior of the world. You chose me. But Mary, a sword's going to pierce your soul. You're going to go through some hard times. You're going to have to stand at the cross and watch your son be tortured and die a horrific death. That's, that's part of your chosen journey. And so having raised three sons, having now six grandchildren and more on the way, I can say this is true in our lives. Our greatest joys are kids. And they're walking with God and everything's going well and seeing those grandkids. Our greatest pain are kids. We won't go with all those stories, but you've got them too. Our greatest joys and sorrows are often associated with, with, with parenting. And so um, we just need to learn that this whole parenting thing is a partnership with God, isn't it? Except the Lord builds a house and we need to pray. Uh, we need to love them unconditionally. We need to be there for them. And uh, God, will, God will see us through and he'll see them through. And God's in control. Well, here's the last one, and then we're done this morning. Life lesson number four. The only way a person can depart in peace is to have made peace with God. The only way a person can depart in peace is to have made peace with God. So here's Simeon. He's got this promise that was given to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah he has baby Jesus, six-week-old baby Jesus in his arms. And what's he say? Now I can depart in peace because I've had a personal encounter with God in the flesh, the Messiah. And that's not only true for Simeon, but that's true for you and me. That uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die. So unless the Lord comes back, None of us are going to leave this world without facing death. At a funeral yesterday for Charlie Moore, I'm standing at the hearse, the coach. We're getting ready to drive to the Oakwood Cemetery, and one of the uh, funeral workers asked me, he's like, are you riding in the front or the back? Because I was riding over the cemetery. And I said, I think I'll ride in the front. I said, one of these days I might be in the back, and Linda Moore happened to be walking by like, oh, no, let's, let's pray for the rapture. Like, yeah, that would be a good idea. The only way a person can depart in peace is what? To have made peace with God. Oftentimes when a person dies, I've been asked this question many times. They said, they'll say, ask the question, did they die peacefully? I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes leaving this world can be very, very difficult. But that's a different question. What we're talking about is making peace with God. And so Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. And so the only persons that are going to leave this world in peace are those that have what? Put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone 
to be their savior, to pay for their sin debt. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might have what? The righteousness of God credited to our account. And if you have that and you've done that, then uh, Hebrews 2 says one of the reasons Jesus came is to take away the fear of death. Now, the process of death, we're, we're a little leery of. Death itself, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So I trust you've made your peace with God. Uh, one of the great uh, verse, Romans chapter 4, 4 and 5, talking about salvation being uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Here's what Paul says. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So when you get your paycheck, you don't tell your employer, thank you for that gift. They're like, no, I, I earned that. You, you owe that to me. But he goes on to say in verse 5, to the one who does not work, now we're talking about salvation here. The one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. You do not have to do anything except believe and receive the gift of eternal life because it's not about doing, it's about what Christ has already done. And when he was on the cross, he gave a victory cry to tell us, die, it is finished. And we can have peace with God. And Simeon was able to depart this world in peace because he had seen the Messiah. I trust you have that peace. I trust that you've made that commitment. I trust that if you're waiting for something, that you will continue to wait and trust and put your hope in God. I trust that today and in the days and weeks to come, you'll be sensitive to God's leading in your life through the Holy Spirit. And uh, let's just continue to, to pray and trust God for our kids, our grandkids, as God works in their life. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for this story of Simeon and Anna. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word that gives us hope this morning, hope of eternal life with you someday. Lord, we realize that we are here just for a moment. The Bible calls us strangers and pilgrims. James says life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But Lord, thank you that when we put our trust in you, we can uh, receive you as our Savior and the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we can have hope and we can live victoriously. Lord, help us to trust your spirit today. Follow your promptings. And Lord, we rejoice that the Savior's been born. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.